Okay, good morning, everybody. Hello, my name is Ben. I'm Flora's husband, and as Pete Bolland, almost 40, or I'm going to join the 40 Club soon. Sorry if I keep going on about that. Um, recently, the kids and I were driving along past one of those electricity substations, and they asked me, Dad, what's that? And I gave them the suitably scientific description. That's one of those ugly grey things that buzzes if you get too close to it. Because I didn't really know uh, enough to be able to really explain it. But you know those, those things you find just randomly pop up in housing estates and places, and you, and you, you see how ugly they are. Dark grey, uh, but as you get nearer to them, they have that hum and the buzz about them, don't they? that you don't need those signs anymore because you can hear the fact this thing is probably pretty dangerous because the electricity in it is, is super strong. I don't know about you, but when I read Ephesians, I get that sort of buzzing sense that Paul himself is like electric with what he's talking about. He's waxing lyrical about powerful truths that are so important to him. He's ablaze in his love for God. And he's in awe of the truth that he is speaking of. And he's so desperate for the people of God to catch hold of that. He's praying for that for them. He's confident. He keeps saying, you will grow in these things as you begin to accept them and draw on them. As God reveals them to you, they will be yours. And I don't know about you, but I often don't feel like I quite have got myself to that point yet. But that our hearts and our prayers should be that we could enjoy and embrace that sense of truth and life and love that we could walk in both truth and we could walk in both that sense of love that Paul has, uh, has encaptured, that he's got hold of. And as he's up until this point, we're at chapter 4, verse 17 now, up until this point, he's laid down loads of theological truth. I mean, like four and a half chapters worth of, of rich and powerful truth. Uh, please go back over this series and, and mull on the, the text to, to really grab hold of those. But he is adamant that these are brilliant, the incomparable power of God, the boundless riches of Jesus' grace. I mean, it's just incomparable truth. But we get to my section, and Paul suddenly seems to flip slightly. He suddenly seems to turn now to a point where he shows that he's not naive. He's got all this brilliant, beautiful truth that's right and true and lovely and good and brilliant. And then he says, but, and he outlines really a number of ways that people can make an absolute pig's ear of things. How people can make a real mess of this one beautiful church that he's created that's supposed to be mature and fruitful and the rest of it. But how there's certain things, if we don't get a handle on them, they will make a mess of things. And will potentially destroy the relationships that we've got uh, uh, and make things really, really difficult. For example, he talks about how we need to get a hand on lying on speaking truthfully, on anger, on stealing, on the way we speak to and about other people, about bitterness. I mean, he really goes in for the, the, the deep stuff that really does matter to us. And, he, and he's, he knows that if we don't learn to control ourselves in these things and guide ourselves well in these things, like I say, it's going to make a bit of a mess. In fact, he goes as far as saying, they will hurt and harm and break and ruin. In fact, we could call some of these things sinful. He even goes as far as saying it might even give the opportunity to the devil to make matters worse. And even the very spirit of God in our midst could be upset or grieved by some of these things. Whoa. You know, he, he, he lays out some really deep, powerful, important things. But that also the opposite is true. 
that as we walk in the goodness of those things and we learn to control them and direct them well, we will grow. We will give pleasure to the Spirit of God in our midst. We will really develop strong relationships with one another. And so this is where he starts in this this part of the passage. Um, So let's read this together. Okay, Ephesians 4.17. He starts off... uh, with a very bleak and dark picture of what he calls Gentile life, which if you don't know is the contrast. At the time, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Gentiles were the non-Jewish people. And so he says this, And so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live like the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge themselves in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. And you were taught in him, uh, when you were taught in him, in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul paints a pretty dark picture of this gentle, gentile, not gentle, gentile lifestyle. There's a lot we could say and discuss on this, but I think one thing really stood out to me. Paul isn't saying that all Gentiles live like this. He isn't saying that. I think he's saying this is where this kind of lifestyle leads. People can develop and grow and lead themselves down into this dark place where they become hard and ignorant, separated from God and reality and life. And, and others. And maybe that doesn't resonate with you. There probably are people you could name or think of, and you think, I know people. I'm sure the Ephesians could, who are like this. But most of us, that's not the case. But there's a journey, isn't there? One of the words Paul uses here is hardening, which in the Greek is a sense of, of a callous. You know, people that play guitar will know when you first learn to play guitar. In fact, how, hand up how many people have learned to play the guitar at some point in their life if learnt is the right word to use. Your fingers are sensitive. And when you press on the strings, it hurts at first. And you have to continue, don't you, to push through, to develop some form of callus on the end of your fingers. It goes hard. And it loses a sense of sensitivity. It loses its sensitivity. Obviously, for the guitar, that is a good thing. In this context, what Paul is portraying is that there's a callousness that can be developed over time. That as we continue to do certain things, as we continue to ignore the truths that we have, as we continue to ignore the reality of certain actions that we are taking part in, we grow to develop calluses. In fact, one commentator says they see that this image is, is, is uh, showing the progressive inability of the conscience to convict somebody of their wrong our conscience, our inner sense of of right and wrong, of goodness, of sensitivity towards other people, of love, etc., can become hardened 
as we begin to make constant choices in a certain direction, so we almost get to a point where we don't begin to feel that that is a problem anymore. Our, our, our inner sense, which I think is a good thing, even our sense of shame and guilt sometimes is a wonderful thing because it protects us from so many things we could get into. But as we continue to go down certain roads, we begin to switch that off, don't we? We begin to say, well, I don't really care about that anymore. And that can lead then to an even further stage where actually we begin to then not grow in love, not grow in truth, and we begin to think, ah, who cares, do what I like, kind of an attitude. That's the kind of thing that Paul is portraying. So we have to learn to tend our conscience. We have to look after it. It is a gift of God. Our sensitivity in those areas, our awareness is hugely important to how then we deal with people and others and, of course, God. And I wonder to what extent we're all good at spotting those early warning signs. When you begin to notice and think, I'm beginning to feel hard. I'm beginning to resist. I'm downplaying that. I'm denying that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm distorting that for my own benefit. Because our ability to grow to a healthy community relies upon us being able to spot those early signs and say, right, I'm now going to put on a new self, as Paul encouraged the Ephesians to do. A vibrant, life-giving, sensitive, uh, whole, soft response to God and towards other people. And I wonder if there are any areas in your life right now when you think, actually, I think I've... I've grown hard there. I think I'm, I'm beginning to notice that there's a resistance, a reluctance, an unwillingness, and begin to bring those things to God. Maturity, in some sense, then, is growing in a sensitivity. Yes, we need strength, of course, um, but there is a sensitivity as we grow into the new self in Christ. We don't want to diminish or downplay the truth of God or the impact on others, and that will be the thing that helps us to live fully, vibrant, alive, uh, aware, awake, ablaze even, as Paul is in these passages, in both truth and love. Both truth and love. And at that point, Paul turns to six examples of gritty realities um, that we all face to some degree or another. We'll just read these in a moment. But there's three key features that are common to them all. One, it's all about relationships. We know we say that a lot, but these are all about how we relate to people. Holiness is not about an isolated thing away from others with God only. No, holiness is about our connection, our unity in relationship and sensitivity with God and with others. That's more about what holiness is about. Paul doesn't just go negative. All of the negatives are coupled with a nice balanced positive. As we take off our old nature, so we put on a new one. We replace the old things, don't we, with something else. And so negative is balanced with the positive. And there's some motivating points put in there as well. Positive negative, and then motivations for why that's the case. Let's read this passage. Verse 25. Therefore, 
each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we're all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but instead must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Carrying on into, into chapter 5. If you follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I've got to be honest, um, when I saw that this was the passage I was speaking on, I wasn't looking forward to it. I've got to be honest, uh, there's some of the bits in here that I read and I think, okay, because <laughs> um, they're strong. And how do they make sense? Or what sense do we make of them? If we turn to the Bible looking for an instruction manual on every piece of wisdom that we need about life, we're not going to find it. Just say that again. If we turn to the Bible looking as an instruction manual on every piece of wisdom we're going to need in life, we're not going to find it. Because I think on some of these passages, I'd like more. Like, Paul, why don't you say more about anger? And, and, and how to deal with that and, and, and truth and what you meant and what about some situations and some scenarios and, but he doesn't. He gives us guidance and truth and I think in some ways leaves us to be able to work out some of those details and how it works. The Bible at times doesn't give me as much as what I would like. It is sufficient and helpful, brilliant, inspired, yes, but there are times when I'm left waiting and asking for more. And so with these, we need to take time to mull on them, to talk them over, to, to, to share them with other people, to say, what do you think? How do we make that work? What, what about everyday life? How do we practice this in a way that actually makes sense today? And, uh, and then begin to work that out. Let's have a look at some of these. Uh, some of these. And so, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For real, we are all members of one body. How many people have um, watched the program Traitors on BBC iPlayer at the moment? Anybody seen this? The essence of the program is this. There's, a, there's, a, there's over 20 people in this game, and they're all vying for £120,000. Or that's the possible pot. They all take part in these competitions and challenges together, trying to raise money as much as they can towards this £120,000. The problem is, if you've ever played the card game Mafia, it's like this. There are traitors in the midst of the group. Okay, there are, in this case, three who are chosen to, every night, decide that one person's going to leave. They're going to essentially kill off one of the people in the competition. Okay, they're a traitor, but they've got to keep their identity hidden. 
Because the, the faithfuls, they can pick out and, and spot one of the traitors and they can o- offer to kind of kick them out. So what happens is every night after they've done the challenges, they meet at the round table. And this is where a discussion happens about who thinks who's lying and deceiving and betraying and is a traitor. And I tell you what, it's awkward. There are a couple of points where it gets really messy because people are trying to, they're jumping to conclusions about people and people are getting upset. But people are trying to work out who is actually telling the truth or not. Um, and it, if you haven't seen it, uh, I'd encourage you, encourage you to watch it. But there's something about telling the truth, isn't there? That in the daytime, these people are working together and they're building these positive relationships and they're all saying, oh, it's like being a family together. And then there's this dark side of it all that is, uh, is laying this almost uh, lack of trust amongst them all. It's laying this sense that, that people just don't know who's right or wrong and are, and are starting then to, to get really frustrated and, and upset by these others. And so Paul goes in, doesn't he, talking about speaking truthfully. He knows that the essence of good relationships is trust. And the essence of trust is truth. And the only way, therefore, we grow in good relationship is to grow in truth. We have to speak and be known and to know and to seek understanding, to have flourishing relationships. I'm sure Lewis and Sarah have gone through some of this in their marriage prep. Um, But we all have to in our relationships with everybody, don't we? We have to speak truthfully. Either we downplay stuff because we don't want to admit that it's true and we, we don't want to face the fact we're going to have to have a conversation with somebody and, 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 and. or we decide to distort, distort and deceive because we want things to be different and we like things to be twisted in a certain direction and so we cover it up. We pretend. But Paul says, look, be truthful people. Why? Because we're members of each other. We're here to draw near and be close, but actually any form of, of, of lie and deception only creates a distance. And when people find out that somebody's been lying and, and you find out that something's been, been, been a problem for a long time, that creates a big problem. Watch, watch traitors. There's a few good moments in the traitors where that, where that happens. Less truth, less trust, less unity, less connection less community as all a part of it. Hugely important, hugely important issues. One moment, can't seem to. My one-handed skills aren't good enough. Okay, should we move on to the next one? Anger. In your anger, Paul says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. Three parts to this. Paul's real in the fact that he says in your anger or some say be angry. He understands that being angry isn't necessarily wrong. He doesn't say Anger is sinful. You mustn't be angry. That's terrible. It doesn't at all. I think actually the outcome of his love and truth and his desire for people to be sensitive, as he said earlier, actually would at times create anger. 
if you love people and you care and you're sensitive and you're attentive and you're aware, I tell you what, you're going to find yourself absolutely infuriated at times. I've had to learn this as a teacher, actually, that I've had to learn more how to get appropriately angry at times. Maybe some of you in this room are the same. For some of us, we need to dampen it down, turn the volume down less. Some of us, maybe there are times we need to be a little bit more sensitive to some of those things. I'm not saying, therefore, it's better to throw your temper around, but there's a sense of sensitivity that creates a You know, if I see people in my class talking to other people in in ways that are rude and harsh and offensive, that creates something in in you, doesn't it? I had a story recently, a boy recently, where I walked into a lesson, said to him, oh, good morning, I was covering a lesson, I wasn't supposed to be in there, it was a math lesson, and I said, hey, sit down, will you? Let's let's get your coat off, get yourself sorted out. Sat down, didn't get anything sorted out, left his coat on. Not a big problem. I said, come on, let's, you know, nice little bit of light, sensitive humour, Nothing. All right. Carry on, carry on. Right, if you can make sure we saw that out now. You know, we had that conversation a few minutes ago. Yeah, all right. Now's the time. Right? And he then turns to his one of his friends he's, and he calls it something offensive. And at that point, I'm like, okay. Outside. No. At that point, my blood is slightly boiling, as you can imagine, but professional, calm. My face is like, not deceiving him, but hi. <laughs> Just, you know, right. It starts escalating. His anger starts building to the point then that he turns to me and he says, you are so dumb. <sighs> now, if you've been annoyed a few times by somebody, a few times more and a few times more, and you're already at that point going, if somebody then turns around to you and just outwardly to your face says, and you're so dumb for what you're saying, I've got to be honest, my hands were shaking. I thought, how dare this boy respond to me like this? Like, and it doesn't even make any sense. What do you mean I'm dumb, that I'm stupid, that I don't have the faculty of thinking? You know, I start having that conversation with him, and he looks at me like... Who is this guy? I just don't want to do what you're telling me. Go away. Um, but in that moment, I had lots of choices to make. How do you respond to that in a godly way? I don't, I don't, have, a, I don't have a clear answer for you, if I'm honest. You've got to find whatever way you flipping well can do just to stop yourself from saying something rude and nasty and end up losing your job or, or something along those kind of lines. Because I tell you what, my mind was filling with all kinds of things. And I had to write, resist, 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 because... I don't want to end up in the same position where he is. But we need to find ways, don't we, to deal with it. Anger is a real thing, and we have to face it. It's, it's a normal part of life. In fact, there is even a godly sense that we have to be careful with. Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. I had friends who got married, and they wouldn't go to bed until they'd finished their argument. <laughs> I don't know how long that lasted for before they finally gave up. You can see them the people that are married in the room going, oh my goodness. Because they would stay up until one o'clock having a good Barney because they were like, we cannot go to bed until we solved our issue. I don't think Paul's being that literal. I don't think he's literally saying that, but he's saying, deal with it. 
Find a way to communicate this. Find a way to sort this out, to face it, to speak truthfully about what you're feeling because it matters. If you are angered, there is something that is causing that to be a problem. To identify carefully what that thing is, is the first step, isn't it? And then once we've identified that, we can then begin to say, right, now how do I communicate that in a way that is going to work? Because the idea is we should be building one another up. It doesn't mean, say, we shouldn't have strong conversations with each other at times, because sometimes we need to, don't we? We need to say that to somebody else. Actually, I'm not happy with what's just happened. Do you know what? You, you can't talk to me like that. Actually, that was really rude, and that hurt, and I'm quite upset. In fact, I'm absolutely fuming with you, because that really hit a tender, a tender part of, of, you know? It's okay for that to be the case, as long as our heart is for reconciliation and to rebuild from there. Um, given the time, we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look to move on from these. But you see there's loads in there, isn't there? Paul's just kind of skipped over the surface of anger and stealing and wholesome t- unwholesome talk. Uh, you know, and it has given us so much for us to think about. But so important are these things to growing as the church into the unity in Christ and our, the measure of the fullness and our fruitfulness that he says these things are really important. If you want to spend some time reading through these, talking through these, so important in our communities and in our friendships and our pattern groups, we think it's actually how am I dealing with my anger? Am I doing all right with that? Do you think I could step up my game a bit more and be more truthful in the way I speak? And could I make sure I'm actually responding differently? And am I just blowing up a bit in people's faces and I need to be a bit more sensitive to seek some understanding? Um, Paul says, make every effort to keep unity, the unity of the Spirit. Every effort and to grow in those things because that will be where we put on the new, we take off the old, we'll be alive and vibrant together. N.T. Wright's convinced that this isn't just about making a nice community of church people, but it's also actually the powerful part of our witness to the world. If we can live in faithful relationship, fruitful, flourishing community relationships, deal with anger really well, people will be listening in and going, oh, you, you, guys, you guys are good at that. And that's actually part of our, our witness to the world. Um, people want community. Like Pete said earlier, people want change, they want newness. They also want to know how to deal with deal with life. And so that is what we are we are called we are called to. Once again I can't do this. Paul's motivating statement is As dearly loved children, therefore, let us walk in the way of love. He starts with the fact that first and foremost, it's because we're dearly loved. He then says, now love and walk in the way of love. How? Just like Christ loved us and gave himself for us. If you're struggling to deal with people and you're struggling to deal with some of these things, let's take in Christ first. Let's learn to breathe in before we breathe out because that is ultimately what we need. If we are tired, we need rest We don't need more activity. We need to take a step back, don't you? To take then a step in. We don't strum up from ourselves. 
It comes from Christ. It comes from the Spirit. It comes from grace. And then we have to do the hard graft then of making that, that work, don't we? But so that we will move into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That Paul's prayer is that we would know God and then we would live that in a way of love towards one another. And so I wonder for you which thing begins to stand out. You think, God, God, I will need to take in, I want to take in more self-control in the, in the areas of anger. Oh, there's a situation that I really need you to help me to know how to deal with. Oh, I need more boldness to go and speak truthfully. Or I need to make sure that the way I respond is a bit less punchy. And I need to just make sure I take a step back in order to move into that relationship in a, in a, in a better way. That we could be kind and compassionate to one another. Let's just um, let's just pray briefly together. Let's see if God brings anything to mind. Father, we thank you for Paul's love that is ablaze for you. His sensitivity to the just how massive and brilliant and beautiful you are in your incomparable power and the boundless riches of your grace. And so we pray as we breathe in the depth of your truth, you would reveal to us all the more the brilliance of your love and your goodness and your forgiveness and your grace. And we pray that you'd help us to live this out. With self-control, with sensitivity, with goodness, with love, with truthfulness, with kindness, with compassion, with a willingness to, to do what we need to do. God, we don't want to make a mess. We want to grow up. We want to be mature and whole. And we want to bless this community as each part learns to do its work properly so we might all grow into maturity. And so if there are things, Father, that we need your help and we pray you pour out your spirit. We pray that you'd fill us with all that we need to then go and do the things that are difficult and hard, but that you would be with us. Make us sensitive. Let us be moved. Grow our compassion. Jesus. Amen.